You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. and you're wanting to seek the Lord and you're looking for someone to show you, it's my thought that God will send you somebody to teach you and send you somewhere to learn about Him. That seems to be God's way because God wants you to know about Him. He wants you to know the Scriptures. He wants you to glean from His Word what He might have you do. So that's what He does here. God fills the hearts of the Ephesians with His words and sends Apollos to do this wonderful work. God also does this wonderful work in Apollos' heart as well. So God is using this. Do you hunger to know more about the Lord? Today, Pastor Dave uses the story of a Jew named Apollos to show how God will send someone to teach us if we genuinely desire to know Him better. God will make a way for us to know Him truly. Seek Him with all of your heart, and God will reveal Himself to you. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, accurate, sincere, but incomplete. How many of you know what a GPS is? Everybody knows what a GPS is, right? Well, GPS is called a Global Positioning System, and it's a satellite-based navigation system made up of 24 satellites that are placed into orbit by the United States Department of Defense. A GPS was originally intended for military applications, but in the 1980s, the government made the system available for civilian use. GPS works in any weather conditions, anywhere in the world, 24 hours a day. How many of you have a GPS in your car or on your phone? I enjoyed my GPS in my car until the battery died. I liked hearing how they spoke to me. It was an English girl, and she would always speak to me and tell me which way I was supposed to go, and I used to like that, but I used to make her mad by turning the wrong way. And she would always go, recalculating, and she'd get kind of indignant when she had to recalculate, and You know, and I would argue with her. Here I am arguing with a stupid machine, but I'm arguing back and forth. What do you mean recalculating? I think these navigational tools are great, but they continually need to be updated. And when they're not updated, I have found that they take you to the wrong place. They may take you to close to where you're going. They may take you to within a hair of where you're going, but they don't seem to take you to the right place unless they're updated continually. Why do they do that? Well, they don't have complete information. They don't have all the picture because things are changing constantly. There may be construction here or construction there or something like that. One time, my lovely wife and I were headed to Assateek Island National Seashore. It's about eight miles south of Ocean City, Maryland. And if you don't know, they have wild horses there. And they roam all throughout. They come over every, every summer. They bring them over from Chincoteague Island, which is down below the Assateague. And they roam. And you can go there and you can see these wild horses out roaming. And it is so beautiful, so gorgeous to see these wild animals on the beach. It's really, really cool. I want one of the few places where there are actually wild horses in the United States. It's a gorgeous thing. But anyhow, we were headed there. We were in Ocean City, Maryland for a vacation. So we jumped in the car and I punched into my GPS, Assateague Island. Well, as we were driving, unbeknownst to me, the GPS had logged in the information system or the information center. 
The information center was on this side of Assateek Island. You still had to cross a bridge to get to the island itself. That's where I wanted to go. I really didn't want to go to the information center, but that's where it was taking me. So as we were driving and stuff like that, I, I remember looking at the, the information center and the GPS kept on saying, turn right, turn right, turn right now. Recalculating, turn right, you turn, turn right. And I was getting all confused. I said, what's wrong with this crazy machine? I want to go to the island. So in the middle of the bridge, I'm driving, I'm in the middle of the bridge over the island, there's water everywhere, and the stupid machine said, make a U-turn, turn right, right now. I went, if I turn right, I'll be in the water. What's wrong with you? And of course, I argue with the machine. I'm arguing with it. B's going, you're nuts. You're arguing with this stupid machine. Anyhow, we did get to see the horses. It was great. It was a wonderful time. And I scolded my GPS for being wrong. How dare it be wrong? But anyhow, we got there. See, the GPS put me close to my destination. Even in the exact same area, but not at the exact spot where I wanted to be. In today's text, we're introduced to a man named Apollos. Apollos did not have an inaccurate message. His message was accurate. Apollos did not have an insincere message. His message was sincere. What Apollos had was an incomplete message. His message wasn't the full story. But even though his message was incomplete, I think Dr. Luke, now remember, Dr. Luke's writing this narrative, and for some reason, he stops in the middle of talking about Paul the Apostle, and spends these four or five verses on Apollos. And I believe there's something we can learn from Apollos. I believe there's some things that we can glean from them because I believe that there is not one wasted page in God's Word. I think every single thing in God's Word is there for a specific reason and for a specific purpose, and it's for us to glean from and to look at. So that's why we're going to look at these verses today. We could have very easily skipped over them. But as I studied them, I found some pretty interesting things that we can talk about, some pretty interesting things that we need to know for our Christian walk. So that's why I think these are important. So who was Apollos? And why do many scholars consider him to be an exceptional man in very many ways? Let's take a look at him. We begin our study as we meet Apollos in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures came to Ephesus. The first thing we see is that Apollos was a Jew. He was a Jew with a Roman name. Not only did he have a Roman name, but he had the name of a Roman god, Apollos. He was born in the second largest city in the Roman Empire at that time, Alexandria, Egypt. It was a huge city and a huge port, and very much like Athens, Greece, Alexandria was a center for culture, education, and philosophy. Alexandria at that time, they estimated, had a population of no less than 600,000 people, and a quarter of those people were Jews. This is where Apollos is from. The Jewish community in Alexandria was quite influential. So Apollos leaves Alexandria and he comes to Ephesus on what has been Ephesus on what has been called a self-styled preaching mission. Nobody knows why he came. It's not recorded anywhere why he showed up in Ephesus to teach, but I think God sent him there. I think God had a purpose for him being there, as we'll see in a couple minutes. It's interesting to me that Paul left Ephesus in verse 21 when we studied that last week. 
But as he left, the people wanted more. Stay with us, Paul. Stay with us a while. No, I have to go to Jerusalem. I got to leave. And he left Ephesus. The only people who were in Ephesus at this time that we know of were Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife team that came with Paul. Paul took them from Corinth to Ephesus. Then all of a sudden, the Lord sends in this man, Apollos, and he begins teaching them. And he's teaching them what he knows. This is key. He's teaching them what he knows. What's interesting about this is that I believe that the Lord always sends teachers to those who have a hungry heart. If you're hungering for the Lord and you're wanting to seek the Lord and you're looking for someone to show you, it's my thought that God will send you somebody to teach you and send you somewhere to learn about him. That seems to be God's way because God wants you to know about him. He wants you to know the scriptures. He wants you to glean from his word what he might have you do. So that's what he does here. God fills the hearts of the Ephesians with his words and sends Apollos to do this wonderful work. God also does this wonderful work in Apollos' heart as well. So God is using this. But in verse 24, we see the first two characteristics of, the, of Apollos. He was eloquent and mighty in scriptures. The word eloquent carries the notion of animation, fluid in language, and a good orator. He was engaging. He captivated his audience. He could tell stories, and people were drawn to him. You might expect this coming from a cultural center like Alexandria, but he was mighty in scriptures. He was mighty in the word of God. Mighty means to be strong, bold, and valiant. The scriptures he knew and studied, the Old Testament. That was the only thing that was written back then. He had read them. He had studied them, and they were important to him. Apollos was a man of integrity. He loved his scriptures, and he studied them. He was mighty in scriptures. Oh, I would love for somebody to say, yo, Dave, he's mighty in scriptures. Wow, what a great compliment. I strive to be mighty in scriptures. I strive to know the word of God. It's something that I really, really want in my life, to know God's word. And to have his words so easily on my tongue that I might profess him more. Now, scriptures say to us, and Paul was saying to his beloved son Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved of God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some of your translations say study to show yourself approved. That's how you become mighty in scriptures. You study God's word. You read them, and you allow them to fill your heart, and you memorize them, and they're on your lips, and you constantly read them, and you, and you dig in on your own. I'm not talking about your daily reading where you might read a chapter or a psalm or something like that. I'm talking about digging. I'm talking getting into God's Word and finding out the meanings and, and, and following a thread through or something like that. That's why I love the Thompson Chain Reference Bibles. Because you can get into a passage and it'll lead you. There'll be a chain that you can follow it all the way through the scriptures and you can really get some meat that way. I just love studying God's word. Apollo knew the scriptures. And the scripture says he accurately applied them. And he applied them to what? The knowledge that he had. I'm, I'm coming to a point here. This is an important. It's an aside. But Apollos could only teach what he knew. He could only teach up to the point of what he knew. And that's what he did fully. As we look at verse 25, it says, this man had been, he's talking about Apollos, had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he only knew the baptism of John. So here we find out what Apollos knew. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. The Greek word used here means to catechize. He went to catechism. He learned the ways of God. He had formal education in the ways of God. 
in the ways of the Lord. He was taught the Lord in the traditions of the Old Testament by the Jews in Alexandria. He was accurate in his teaching, except he only knew the baptism of John. Apollos could only take his listeners to where he was. He could take them no further because he didn't know. He hadn't experienced regeneration of the Spirit. He hadn't experienced rebirth in Jesus Christ. He hadn't experienced that because he taught the baptism of John. He could only lead them into repentance to prepare their hearts for the coming Messiah because that was John's ministry. That's all John the Baptist baptized in, to repentance. Prepare, make make straight the way of the Lord. Prepare your hearts. The kingdom of God is at hand. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. I'm not him, but he's coming, and I can't even tie his sandals. Look to him, look for him. Where was Apollos when John said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? We don't know. Was Apollos a disciple of John? It seems like it. We don't know these things. He could only lead them into repentance, preparing them for the coming Messiah because he didn't know that the Messiah had already come. He hadn't experienced that. He didn't know that his name was Jesus. He couldn't lead them into eternal life. He couldn't lead them to true life through the scriptures. You know, Dr. Luke points out another characteristic of Apollos. He was fervent in spirit. This means he was boiling over. This must have been some speech he was given. I can imagine he must have been very engaging. He really must have been a charismatic type of guy because he was boiling over with excitement. He was, his, his heart was just flowing towards the people as he taught. That's what we saw at the conference a couple weeks ago. People whose heart were boiling over for God. And they were delivering messages from their heart. And, and you could tell because their messages were heartfelt. You could see it in their eyes, you could feel it in their talk, and the way they explained things, it was really interesting. They were fervent. Fervent also carries, carries a meaning of being earnest. He was true and heartfelt. Being a teacher for a long time, there were several things I learned. Number one, I could tell when one of my students was giving me a bunch of it, when they had an excuse that they were trying to throw at me. And you know what I also learned? I learned that they could tell when I was giving it to them, too. They can tell when you're not truthful. People know when you're not telling them the truth. They just know it. So he was earnest. He was accurately describing the Scriptures as he knew them. He was accurately portraying the Messiah that would come using the Old Testament. There was power behind this teaching of his. There was fervency of spirit. There was excitement. There was eloquence. But Apollos was diligent to present this message. And he was also sincere. Look what it says in verse 25a. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. He believed in what he said. He believed in the message that he was carrying. He believed that repentance was at hand. The kingdom of God was near. I've asked this many times. I've asked this many times. It's worth asking again. When you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, do they believe that you believe what you say? When you speak to them, can they tell that you're speaking from your heart about Christ, or is it just some rote thing that you learned in catechism? Or is their heart felt there? Like I said, people know. People know from your heart. See, a diligent person studies the Scripture with care. And he studies the application of the scripture. He doesn't study it with with carelessness or neglect, but wants to know the truth. And as far as Apollos knew, he had the truth. 
As far as Paulus was concerned, he had the whole truth. Because that's all he knew. And he was teaching people to what he knew. And even though his message was accurate, and even though his message was sincere, his message was incomplete. His message was not complete yet. Here was a man, fervent in spirit, boiling over with passion, diligent in his presentation, bold enough to go into the synagogues and teach and preach to the Jews at Ephesus. He was eloquent. He was well taught in the way of the Lord. But there was a problem. This enthusiastic man was declaring an incomplete gospel. He was declaring an incomplete gospel. He had got as far as John the Baptist, repentance, and he stopped. He mentioned nothing of Jesus going to the cross, nothing of the resurrection, nothing about the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, today, there are too many people who take you right to the edge and don't give you Jesus. There are too many people who are preaching less than the gospel. They're bringing you to the edge of salvation and that's leaving you hang there. They're giving you a watered-down version. Their message is incomplete. The Apostle Paul speaks of Israel like, like Apollos. He had a, they, Israel had a zeal for God, but they were without knowledge. Look at, verses, uh, look at Romans 10 in verses 1 through 12. In Romans 10, verse 1 through 12, actually 1 through 13, Paul is speaking, and he's speaking about Israel, is the Israelites. Brethren, my heart desires and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted it to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is, to bring Christ down from above. Or, who will ascend into the abyss? That is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth that Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. Paul's declaring to the Jews then, which is the same problem that they face today. They have a zeal for God, but they don't have knowledge. I mean, you ever looked at pictures of the Wailing Wall? They're standing there. And some of these real Hasidic Jews, these real people who are, think they're close to God, they wear these boxes on their arms. Did you ever see them, these little boxes on their arm or their boxes that they have on their head? They're called phylacteries. And in them are scriptures and things like that. And they think themselves holy because that's what they do. And they go to the wailing wall and they sit there and they sit there and then because they wail or they moan and they bob their heads as they pray, they think it's an act of righteousness. They think it's an act that God's going to recognize. But they have this zeal for God, but they don't have knowledge of his son. They don't have knowledge of Jesus Christ. They don't have knowledge of the true Messiah. They're ignorant of God's righteousness because they're trying to establish their own righteousness. Oh, if I only go to the wailing wall and pray so many more times. If I only, if I only go there and pray. I'll, I'll be righteous before God. Many today 
even non-Jews try to be righteous before God without Jesus Christ. Righteous in their works, righteous in what they do. Oh, if I just give this campaign or give to that campaign, or if I just help this person, help that person. But they do it all without Christ. It's works. It's useless. But God has made it so simple. He's made it so simple. Man seeks to complicate it. Man goes back to the righteousness of works. You know, you know, man's idea is, you know, if you go to 150 doors a day, knock on the door and peddle a magazine, wake people up, and continue to do this faithfully, you're going to be saved. Okay, I can do that. No, 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 wait a minute. If you crawl on your knees five miles to kiss a statue, you're going to be scared. You're going to be spared several days of purgatory. Okay, that's what I'll do. Man complicates the issue, but our flesh likes the complications. Our flesh likes it because I'd like to take some credit of my salvation. I like to think I had something to do with my salvation. After all, I'm me. I want to take some credit for my salvation. God says no. You're not going to boast in what you've done. There is no boasting because it's by faith and faith alone that you come to me. My grace, my unmerited favor is given to you. And for all those that would just believe, that's the work of righteousness. But what about what I've done? What about the dangers I've I've faced teaching your word? What about the sacrifices I've made and the dedication that I've done when I'm hanging around here doing the work? What about me? I love it when the Lord corrects me and gives me that bam. Dave, it's not about you. It's about me. It's about me and what I've already done. If you've accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, if you've done Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you've confessed with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead and says you will be saved, you can't get any more righteous. That's as righteous as you'll ever get. Because by doing that, you've then completed the righteousness standards of God. And you have it all. It's got to be something I do. Okay, if it'll make you feel better, read 20 chapters of the Bible a day. Pray for an hour. You know, we, we set these standards on ourselves that nobody else can live up to. We think that that makes me more righteous than anybody. It's wrong thinking. There's no place for boasting, neither now nor eternally. When we get to heaven and when we before the throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died, my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. For Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left its crimson stain, but he's washed me white as snow. Well, I tell you, those people that wrote those hymns, they really had it. They knew. They really, really knew. Where's the boasting? Where's the boasting in that? Paul said, it's gone. By keeping the law, no. If by keeping the law, then it encourages boasting, but it's eliminated because I'm a saved through simple faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation is so close to us right now. It's right there. Simple faith in Christ. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart. Jesus is Lord. That God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. It's so close. It's so close as even to your mouth. Salvation isn't far off. You are assured. You've been listening to A Sure Hope Radio with Pastor Dave. Pastor Dave comes to us from Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. 
In today's message, Pastor Dave is in the book of Acts. In this book, you'll hear about many people who had been eyewitnesses of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They were now going to tell others about Jesus, and many were coming to a saving faith. If these disciples were just following some flash-in-the-pan rabbi, they wouldn't have been so eager to risk their lives for the sake of telling about this good news. No, it's because they saw it lived out, and they saw the greatest miracle of all happen, Jesus dying and then rising again. What an incredible time to live. So when you're facing opposition and persecution for following Jesus, remember that these disciples did too, and they were willing to face the ramifications for such faith. If you're wrestling with what this means to have a saving faith, we'd love to seek God in prayer with and for you. You can email us your requests at info at capewatchradio.com. If you'd rather call, we can chat with you on the phone too. Our number is 609-884-5821. That phone number once more is 609-884-5821. Anything else you'd like to know about can be found on our website, assurehoperadio.com. We've come to the end of our time together for today, but we'll be back next time as Pastor Dave shares some more great things from the Bible here on Assure Hope. Thank you.